This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. All right, welcome back to Scissors and Scrubs again in our Christmas season. Jingle bells, jingle bells. I'm Nicole. I'm Laura. And we're going to kick off the the holiday season with death. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't done a Killing Earth episode since episode two. Really? Yeah. Since, um, what did you do? Oh, you yeah. did that, that crazy, crazy lady in Texas or yeah. something. And I did... Um, the Jane, one that ran Jane away. Topping, it was like sleep. Was like oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Crawling into bed with yeah. them and shit. Yeah. So was, I think it's like episode two or three. That was the last time we did Killer Nurses. So it's been a while. So, so we're back on it. Yay. And what brings us to this? The movie The Good Nurse. Yes. I saw it the other night and I was like, Laura, we got to do this guy. So Laura's going to kick it off with The Good Nurse. And then I'm going to follow up with a case from the, as I've been saying all weekend and people are getting pissed, from the late 1900s. <laughs> I love when people say that. You know, they're old. They were born in the you late the 1900s. 90s. Yeah, yeah. We're from the late 1900s. Um, this case is also from the late 1900s. Yeah. yeah. It's a little disturbing. We're in um, history now. We're, yeah. They're talking yeah. history. Since I was also born in the late 1900s. Yeah. Well, you were born almost mid. Um, really? Are we going to go there yeah. late? Just if well. you If you separate it in thirds, I'm the beginning of the third quarter. Beginning. Of the third quarter. Yeah. All right. Okay. So late 1900s. Okay. Sure. Late-ish. Sure. Mid to mid, late. Yeah. Mid to late. All right. Well, I didn't watch The Good Nurse. <laughs> the movie. Did you watch the documentary? So I watched the documentary. Which was, I thought was excellent. It was better than the movie. All right. Well, that's what I heard. So It was better than the movie. So I got this information pretty much all from Capturing the Killer Nurse on Netflix. Which was excellent. Which is a documentary um, based on the book The Good Nurse mm-hmm. that this guy wrote. And now there's also Which I didn't movie. realize it was a book. Yeah. Do I know you have the name of the author? Um, no. He's in, the, he's in the documentary yeah. if you want to read it. So The Good Nurse quote-unquote his name is um charles cullen he was a nurse from like 1984 until his um demise here um (laughs) in the early 2000s so the document i'm gonna do it how the documentary does it Mm because it's very like here and there so it opens with this nurse amy loughran right she worked at somerset hospital in new jersey Mm -hmm. single mom she needs her job. She's the insurance. She's the breadwinner. She gets the insurance. She's got to raise her kids, whatever. Um, she's a critical care nurse in the ICU there. Um, there's also this other nurse, Donna Hargreaves. It was Amy, Donna, mm-hmm. and Charles. They, like, almost all their shifts will work together. They were, like, a little They worked trio. the night shift. They worked the night shift. They worked together a lot. They relied on each other. Um, they loved working together. Charles, oh, they call him Charlie... They were like, he was so smart. He knew all the drug interactions. If they had any questions, they always went to Charlie. He was an excellent nurse. They really relied on each other. And as we can attest to, when you work on an off shift, there's you very really few people around. You get very close with your team. You rely on your team members to help you because there's no managers there. There's no, you know, higher you, ups in the hospital. And you're going through like hard situations with very little staff. So right. you, you really, really rely bond. on each other yeah. bond. Our night shift was very tight when we yeah. were on it. And they work in the ICU. So there's a lot of death. There's a lot mm-hmm. of very sick, sick people. They, you really, you really form a type on. Um, Amy said she always felt that Charlie was like the kid that got bullied growing up. Mm-hmm. So she was very protective he of him. He looks like the kid that he got does bullied. He does look. He's too. very small. He's very slight. Yeah. Um, 
But she said she always felt very protected of him. She protective of him. She loved him. She loved working with him. They were like this little trio. They would call them the um, three musketeers. That's right. They were always working together. Um, so they're working at Somerset, like I said, in New Jersey. This patient comes in, Father Gall. He's a Catholic priest. He had called his sister the the one night at like two a.m. Wakes her up out of her sleep, and he's like, "I'm having a really really hard time breathing." She said, "Go to Somerset ER." Um, he gets to the ER. He's just um getting worse and worse. They have to intubate him and they admit him to the ICU. The sister is always with him. She's at his bedside. She's with him all the time. Um. He's starting to get better and he moves from the ICU. So their floor must be like ICU is one half of the floor and CCU is the other half. So they can go back, back and, and forth. forth. Um, he moves to the CCU. They get him to the CCU side. He codes and dies. Now he was getting better. He mm-hmm. was a CCU is a step down from the ICU. So you go there once you're starting to get better. Gets the CCU codes and dies. Amy, the nurse, is shocked. She's like, I just had him. He was getting better. Like, how did he code and die? Like, really shocked about this. Someone from Somerset, it doesn't say who it was, calls the Poison Control Center in New Jersey. This is what I found the most interesting is the um, involvement of the Poison Control. Yes. So someone, a a nurse at Somerset calls the Poison Control. And they have the actual Yeah, they have the tape. Yeah, so you can hear their call because it's like 911. They record everything. the actual audio. And they call them asking about digoxin toxicity. Digoxin, digoxin is a medication that's used in heart failure, and it makes um, your heart contractions much stronger, but it slows down your heart rate. Did they use it for AFib? Is that a big AFib med? Maybe. I want to say that I always associate that with AFib. Uh, they use it in heart failure, though. Yeah. I know that. So it makes it... Uh, it might be. Um, they make some... Const- Contraction stronger, but it slows your heart rate. And if it, you have a toxicity, which is way too much in your system, it's going to stop your heart. They called and asked this question because they said, this patient did not have digoxin for two days. But their, their, levels. their levels were elevating. Can that happen? Is there some sort of weird half-life that we don't know about? Like, So they mm-hmm. were just questioning, how could that be? Um, and then another patient, they said, it wasn't just this patient. Another patient had this same thing happen. Then they say, also two patients went hypoglycemic unexpectedly. So the two patients had very, very low blood sugar very unexpectedly, and they couldn't figure out why. Poison control says, uh, there's a murder at your hospital. That literally. fucking floored me. That guy was just... Literally, like, the guy's like, you got to involve the police. Yeah. He's like, this is a police matter. Someone's killing patients at yeah. your hospital. Um, So they hang up this call. Poison control calls the hospital two days later, which I was also shocked at, like, that they did this, to follow up. Like, what did you do? Did you talk to the police? What did the police say? What do you need? Like, what's going on? They are told, management has taken this over. They know about it. They're aware. We're not allowed to say anything. Click. Like, Mm -hmm. hangs up the phone call. That's it. State prosecutors get involved. So the hospital had to have reported the deaths or something. But there's a time frame. There's, like, three months in between this call the, the poison center thing and then when the state pro- prosecutors get involved it's like three months so they must have maybe a family member said something something came up state prosecutors got involved state prosecutors call the police they have a sit down with the like higher ups at Somerset and there's this um what do they call her like a she's, not a public uh, she's like the head nurse of the hospital or no something. she's um risk management that's right that's right that's what she is I'm like I can't think of the word I know the word this lady Mary 
she's at this meeting with all these other higher ups. They say hospital did an internal investigation. There were two hypoglycemic patients. There were two patients with elevated digoxin levels. Um, they say, we need to see this internal investigation. Sure, no problem. We'll send it over to you. They're like, we're expecting files, like chats like of these patients. Like boxes and boxes of files. They're like, we got a one piece of paper from an attorney <laughs> saying there was there was uh, an, investigation. an investigation and nothing suspicious was found. It, it does mention a nurse named Charles Cullen. It does not say anything that he did anything. It says actually that he's not right. suspected of anything, but his name is mentioned in it. So they're like, okay, who's this Charles Cullen? So this is how Charles Cullen is looked at. And it's hard to find information about his past, I found. Like, really, his like when he was born and what he did. Like, I had heard rumors he had been in the military when he was younger. And yeah, I didn't see marriage, that he was... It's very hard yeah. to find a lot of information on his past. Yeah. So, the police do, obviously, look into Charles Kellen. They see he has a record um, in Pennsylvania for a DUI and criminal trespass, like, in the 80s. This is, like, we're talking 2003 now. This, these charges were back in the 80s. So... The police call the Pens- Pen- Pennsylvania State Police. They're like, hey, you know, he has these charges there. We're just looking into this guy. Like, they pull his file. On top of the file is a sticky note saying, if anybody calls about this man, please let us know. Because there was incidents at St. Luke's Hospital about missing meds. So please and, and call literally, me. Literally, it is just a sticky note. It's a note. sticky note on top well, of the file. Like, if anybody ever calls about him, yeah. there's something at St. Luke's about him. They're like, well, wait a minute. There's another hospital that's looking into him. Um. So Cullen is still working at this point. So the police are like, we have to interview him, but we can't really go to the hospital because we don't want him to know we're looking into him, but we also don't want him to kill anybody else. So they're interviewing family members, all of them like, he's so smart, wicked, wicked smart. He's a good dad. He loves his kids, supports his kids. But we're not surprised at all that you're investigating him for something. They didn't tell him what they were investigating him for, that just that they were looking into him. And they were all like, but we're not surprised that you're looking into him. There was um, rumors that he tortured pets. Mm-hmm. He poisoned a pet at one point. Um, he abused pets, family pets. Um, police found that he worked at nine hospitals in one nursing home between 1987 and 2003. So that's a lot of places to work mm-hmm. in 15 years. That's your first red flag. Right, when you're jumping around. Hospital. Unless they're a traveler, why are mm-hmm. you bouncing around like that? Um, but Amy and, what did I say, Donna, I like... We, we didn't think, we didn't believe any of this stuff. Like we didn't think anything was Highly wrong with defensive him. Of him. Wicked. So Amy has cardiomyopathy, which is a, like a disease of your heart. It's not great for her. She has bad output. Like she, her, she passes out. She's like sick, but she can't not work. So right. she can't take time off. And if they found out she has this, they're probably going to say, you have to take time off because you're a risk at the hospital. So one day she's at the nurse's station. She checks her pulse. It's like 180. Yeah, she, she starts to pass out. Charles finds her, brings her into a room, sits her down. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And she's like, all right, listen, I have cardiomyopathy. But he's like, you got to go to the ED. And she's like, I can't because I have to work. I need the insurance. I cannot, I cannot be sick. He says, fine. He goes, he gets her uh, cardizem, which would treat the um, cardiomyopathy. She takes it. She like, doesn't even think like, why, how did he get this? Like, she just, oh, he got me cardizem. She takes it, blah, blah, blah. He takes her patients on that night. He does all her chatting. And this this happens. These events happen like several, several times. So again, they are just like, he's a great guy. He's so smart. He helps. He's a hard worker. Like they just are really still, they love him. Um, So 
the police is still looking into him, obviously. They question everybody. Now they're looking, okay, he's worked at nine hospitals in one um, rehab. Let's talk to these people. So they hear of an incident at Warren Hospital where Charles had worked before. There was a woman, Helen Dean. Um, she was in the ICU. She had a procedure. She was doing fine. She was going to get discharged. Charles is her nurse. So her son, Larry Dean, is very close to his mother. Oh, that's he right. He lives with the mother. He never got married. Like, they do everything together. He's very, very close to the mother. So he's always at the hospital with her. So she's about to get discharged. Larry's, um, Larry's there visiting her. A male nurse came in and asked Larry to leave. Like, you know, probably getting her dressed or whatever to go. Um, he pulls the curtain. Larry goes out to the nurse's station. And all of a sudden, he can hear Helen yelling. Ouch. Yeah. From the nurse's station. That's a pretty loud yell to yell through a room. Um, and the male nurse is running out when Larry's running into the room because his mother had just yelled. Helen says, that nurse just stuck me with a needle in my thigh. He takes out, like, I forget what was his phone or if he took out something and like magnified it and like was like, yes, there's a pinprick. Like someone, yes, they just stuck her with something. Um, they move her to the rehab that day. Like she's getting discharged. She's going, she's getting better. Larry goes home to like get her clothes or something. He walks in the door, the phone's ringing. His mother died. At the rehab. Jesus Christ. Like, upon arrival at the rehab, his mother dies. Larry immediately calls the police. And he's like, my mother was murdered. Immediately calls. They do a toxicology screen. They check for every single drug. Digoxin is not on that That's list of the toxicology. the only drug they did not check for. The only drug was yep. Digoxin. So, there's no evidence that she had any. They're like, there's right. nothing wrong. She just died. Like, it is what it is. She was old, whatever. She was sick. She died. He's insistent my mother was murdered. Mm -hmm. He did something to her. My mother's murdered, but there's no evidence, so it kind of never goes anywhere. Um, After, but they do investigate it. They do look into it. Charles knows they looked into this. After they investigated this, he admits himself to a psych hospital. That's right. He said he wanted to quit nursing, but he couldn't because he had to support his kids and it was a good paying job. Um, And he's discharged from that psych hospital with a note saying... He can go back to work on the ward. There's no way. There's nothing wrong that he he can't go back to work right. as a nurse. So he goes back to work as a nurse. Um, Amy and Donna, again, they're back at their hospital. They're working. Charles is still working. They're noticing their lab results were coming back completely skewed. And they're like, there's something wrong with these lab results. They think it's a lab mistake. They're like, no, the digoxin level can't be that. No, her sugar can't be that. Like, we just gave her this. Yep. We just gave that. Like, they're like, there's something wrong with the lab. Something's ro- broken in the lab. They're bringing Charles these reports to go, look at this lab result. This can't be right. And because he was so smart and knew, like, what every drug is going to do to you, he'd be like, oh, no, this it, that is right because of this. And, like, he would explain all these, like, half-life things. And they'd be like, oh, I guess. He's right. I guess it's right. Because he's so smart and he understands exactly how meds work. Um. So investigators go back to the hospital and they ask for more records, any more records, anything, you know, that can help them. They find out, oh, the records were destroyed because, of course, that always happens in any kind of investigations. Oh, we don't have any more records for you to see. They're destroyed. Um, so they needed outside help. They call the poison control number and they ask about digoxin. The poison control guy goes... Uh, are you calling about Somerset Hospital? And they're like, what the hell? Why would you ask if we're calling about Somerset Hospital? 
He's like, because I told them months ago, there's a murderer at that hospital. They needed that to call the cops. Guy. The guy that he's so got funny. this funny, like, he's got a lisp of the Jersey accent yeah. to boot. He's it's, hysterical. He's so funny. He's like, I told, I told them, them there was months a ago about that guy. The investigators um, are he's at like, that we'll office. Be at your office in 15 Yeah, minutes. they're literally there in like 15 <laughs> minutes. So, they, so he plays them the recordings of the calls that went into the poison control center. Um, and they played the recordings of phone calls to risk management at Somerset. And they're telling them someone was murdering patients. The hospital wanted, waited three months and provided like minimal information. It's obvious to the police. The hospital is covering this up. Whatever happened, it's a cover up. They did nothing about it. They were told it was a murderer. They played them the tape. Like they, they're not doing anything about it. So the investigators go back to the Pennsylvania state police investigator for more information, maybe they had more information from St. Luke's to see if they could get him there. Um, so a nurse, they find out a nurse from St. Luke's reported Charles Cullen for killing patients. She said they had a tight group. Um, she worked side and side by side with him. Um, but she was there one night when Charles re- was removed from the hospital at 2 a.m., and was allowed to quit. They did not find him. They said, you have to quit. 50 vials of meds. He had like hoarded 50 vials of meds. Some were used, some were unused. She starts thinking now. She never thought it. She was just like Amy and Donna. Like we were very tight. We were very close. Like we loved working together. He was so smart. She starts thinking about this now that they say, no, we found him with 50 vials of meds. Um, There was a time twice in one week, stable patients coded. She starts compiling a list of all the people who died when they were working there together. Six, there were 67 deaths. And again, it's in an ICU. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of deaths. He was there during 40 of them. And she's Which like, if you... Ridiculous statistic. Right. She's like, if you did it, like, you know, she did it out statistically. Something. He should have been there for maybe 10. Like, she was like yeah. tw- 12 she's or like something. She's like 18 at the most. Right. Like something... Yes, he should be there for part of them. Right. Not the majority of them. He was working for 40 of them. It didn't statistically make any sense. She and she thought he targeted people she had a fondness for. Yes. She said there was a guy in there and like when he first came in, he wasn't talking or anything. And then all of a sudden he was like, just say, like, duh, duh, duh. Like, and they were like, I don't know what he's saying. And it took hours and hours. And eventually he said, I love you mm-hmm. to her. And then he would say it to her whenever she worked. Mm-hmm. Like he really loved her as a nurse. And then he would sing you on my sunshine to her. Like every time she oh, came in. That's right. And this is one of the guys he killed. He killed. Um, Jealousy. Yeah, the patient coded while she was on and while Charles was on. So she tells the manager, I'm sure he's killing these patients. He's killing these patients. He could not be here for 40 of them and not be killing them. They said, oh, no, we already looked into it. He, he isn't killing them. Um, She leaves the hospital. She calls a friend who happened to be a police captain. They look into it. And all of a sudden, one night, she's on her shift at night. The CEO of the hospital comes in. Have you ever seen the CEO of... Ever. Hospital? No. Never. Never mind. Onto a unit at night. That doesn't happen. So the CEU comes in one night and tells them, um, Charles was cleared by state police. There's nothing happening. Someone reported him. They shouldn't have, like, they shouldn't have said anything about it. Blah, 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 blah. The nurses working there are all upset about who, re- like, I can't believe someone reported him because they all love think, him. And they all think he's innocent. And she's sitting there like, he fucking did it. But she she's not saying anything because everybody's mad at whoever reported um, but say they were 
more mad because St. Luke's was trying to expand its hospital and was making new construction. And if there were any reportable events, they would lose their loan. So they were like, we're, gonna, not, we're not going to be able to. They were almost like lawsuits or anything. Yeah. They yeah. Like, anything. So they were like, we, we, you know, we won't even be able to expand if this happened. Like, why would someone say that? Um, so they gave him a good reference and sent him on his way because they wanted no trouble. Sounds very Dr. Deathish. Yeah. Back to the Somerset Hospital. Charles eventually gets fired from Somerset after this investigation is ongoing and ongoing. I'm sorry. <coughs> Laura's going anaphylactic again. And if you look at pictures of him, he's just creepy looking. He's just mousy looking. He is. He's just kind of, ugh. So he gets fired. Amy's shocked. Like, floored. Cannot believe this is happening. Um, She calls him. She's like, what the heck? How did you get fired? What happened? And he said he wasn't truthful on his application. That's what he tells her. That's why he got fired. She says, I'll give you a good reference. Like, you know, put my name down on anything. I'll, you know, let help you. However, I'll I help can. you get a job. So detectives now go into Somerset Hospital because he's no longer working there. He didn't, they didn't want to go while he was there. So they go into Somerset and they want to interview every nurse he worked with. The nurses are panicked because they're like, well, he like lied on his application. We could be fired for anything. Like they're nervous. They're going to get fired. Um, and the Mary Lund, that risk manager sat in on every single interview with every single nurse, with the police. Yeah. You could not be interviewed with the police or talk to anybody about this case unless she was with you. Sitting there. So the nurses were um, kind of afraid to really say anything because they didn't want to get fired. Like, they didn't really know what was going on. And they all like, we really don't have anything to say. Talk to Amy. She's very good friends with him. She works with him all the time. Talk to Amy. So they're like, all right, we're going to talk to Amy. They interview Amy last. Um, she's telling this is all bullshit. I don't know what's going on. This is all bullshit. I don't know why he's fired. Like he's, he's a great nurse, blah, 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 blah. For whatever reason, Mary Lund has to leave the interview. So the second she leaves, the cops show Amy some evidence they have against Charles and they show her the Pixis information, like printout. So the Pixis is the drug machine. There's a printer. Every transaction you do, it is in that system. It's in a computer. So they printed out everything that Charles ever pulled out and of his pictures. you got to, you know, Laura's my patient. She needs digoxin. I have to go in and put her name in, digoxin, how much I'm taking out. And it records who I am, who she is, what time I'm taking it out. It records everything you're doing. Right. She sees this printout and is like, shit, he did something. He's doing something. This is all wrong. And then she's sitting there like, what the? Like, she can't believe it. She's in shock. And then she remembers one night. A patient goes into VTAC. She calls a code blue. She's running down to the room, calling a code blue. She gets into the room, and Charlie was already in the room with the patient, and he is injecting the patient. She goes, what are you giving them? He said, lidocaine. She's like, I thought it was weird, because that's not like what we give for right away. Like, mm-hmm. when someone's in VTAC, it's not like what you... But she's like, I, he's so smart. He he's giving lidocaine. She's like, I questioned it for a brief second, but then we just went into code mode. So they're running the code. The patient's dying. Um, the resident or the doctor comes in and he's like, all right, what happened? She's giving him the rundown because she's the one that's running the code. And she's like, we gave lidocaine. He's like, wait, who gave lidocaine? Who ordered lidocaine? And she said, I did because she was running the code. And I also, which is a common thing you would give in a code. Right. For an adult. I also think like, okay, say I'm, I'm charged at the desk, right? Which I do. And someone comes up and is like, who told them to do this? I'm going to say I did. Yeah. Even though I didn't tell them to do that necessarily. Yeah, but I'm going to protect but my you're, team. Right. You're trying to you're trying to get one of my team members in trouble. And 
I trust my team. Right. That's the key thing, too. Right. She trusted him. She had worked with him night after night. Right. I wouldn't for a second doubt you right. if you had said to me, I gave him lie to Laura knows what she's doing. I absolutely trust her judgment. Right. Okay. This right. Is what, and yep, you're going to, and I'm going to stick out for you. Right. Yep. Yeah. I did. I'm running this code. I did. Yep. He's like, this patient's allergic to lidocaine. And she's sitting in the police, like the police are interviewing her and she's remembering this and she's like, oh my God, he killed that patient. He killed that patient I walked right in, in front of me. He was murdering yeah. that patient. Um, that story disturbed yeah. me. Yeah. So she's like, oh my God. So she's in shock the police know she's in shock they know they've got her like they, they can see the moment she yeah. realizes he's guilty so they ask her like help us help us because he's killing patients you know he is um she gets home she calls donna because it's like the three musketeers she tells her everything that's happened blah blah blah. she's in shock um the police go to amy's house like two days later they're like we really need you to help us we he's killing patients you know it so she and, helps and, them. and they're like, the hospital is stonewalling us. Right. And the she knew the hospital was no information. Yeah. So she's like, okay, fine. So they ask her to deci- decipher like the medical jargon. Like they have all this stuff. They don't know what the fuck it means. Like and the another hospital's language. not telling them what yeah. it means because they don't want them to know what it means. So he's like, will you help us? Just what does this mean? Would you do this? Is this normal? Um, so she's asked again to interpret the Pixis receipts. And she saw that he would go in under her patient's name, like Laura Dennison, and say I need to jox in 10 milligrams or whatever take it and then cancel the transaction so it would be like he never took it out right so but the Pixis records that you're doing that but if you look up on your patient it doesn't say that they got right the digoxin um so she's like it, it was like just time after time after time he was doing this and as she's talking to the police randomly Mary Lund calls her as the police are at her house talking to her about this and she's like have you spoken to the detectives you shouldn't do that without me there. Like, don't talk to them without a hospital rep. The cops are listening to her. Tell her this. Like, they they can hear Mary Lund saying to um, Amy, like, don't talk to them if I'm not there or anybody. So Amy's petrified of losing her job. Like I said, she's a single she mother. Needs, she, she's kind of she's sick. She, she has insurance. she needs the insurance. So she she's like, I gotta talk to my daughter about helping you. Her daughter's like 11 or something. So she picks her up from school. She's like, listen, my uh, person at work is hurting patients. They need my help, but I could lose my job. It could mean we don't have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And her daughter's like, if they're killing patients, you should help them find them. Like, she's like, There's my 11 year old has a, more, a bigger moral compass than these people that run this hospital, you know? Um, So Amy's going to help. So she has to keep her relationship with Charlie. Charlie can't know that she's helping them, obviously. So she allows the cops to record all their calls. <clears throat> they know he's looking for a new job. They know he's severely depressed. They know, like, this is on a clock. Like, they need to get this done. So Amy felt like she knows he's doing this, but she feels awful because he was her friend. Mm -hmm. She trusted him. He helped her. Like, she feels like she's betraying him, even though he's killing people. But she's like, I knew I had to do it because he's just going to keep doing it. Um, So Amy asked the detectives for the chats from, like, Cerna, which is, like, the uh, electronic Mm -hmm. medical record at that hospital. And they're like, "What, what is that? And she's like, like, the patient's records. And they're like, they didn't give them to us. The hospital didn't give them any patient records. So they can't even look Nothing. up, like, what happened to this Nothing. patient. So Amy goes to work. And when she's, like, alone, she starts printing out these patients' medical records that were killed. Um, You can be charged with violating HIPAA for that. I mean, that is Big a violation time. of HIPAA. That is not. Yeah. You cannot do that. Um, but she's like, if we don't get this, we can't stop him 
Like, there's no way to nail him right. if we don't have the patient records. And so. I do believe the court, the, the police had a subpoena. Like, they they should have been able to get these records. Right, but they weren't getting them right. for whatever Right, so reason. I think she would have, I guess what I'm saying is for people who were she would have been covered because the hospital should have been providing these records. They should have. That would have overridden the HIPAA thing. I mean, you can't do that. You're right. But she's like, I, I'm going to lose my job, but I, I at least want to nail him right. for doing this. Um. And they said if they could prove just one death, they would get him because then it could just snowblow and show like, no, see, this happened to, mm-hmm. but it happened to 30 others. Um, so they get the chats printed out and then they go to Father Gall's family, his sister, and say, can we exhume him? He had just died like, I don't know, eight months earlier or something. If we can exhume him and check him for digoxin, we can prove it. We can prove it. And the, the sister's like, I mean, it's awful because you're like grieving and it's whatever and she's like he helped people all his life dig him up he would want to help you get him you know um so the hospital had said that he died of natural causes they exhume him they test him for digoxin the digoxin levels were extremely high they changed his cause of death to homicide but the police like okay this is good we need like we need one more thing we need like a smoking gun like okay he died he had digoxin we can't say for sure he gave him the they wanted like more. They just wanted something else. So one day, Amy's calls are being recorded. Charlie calls her. He's like, I got a new job. So they're like, fuck. Like, time's up. We can't let him go to another hospital. So Amy calls the cops. You know, they heard whatever. They're like, all right, we're out of time. The cops ask Amy to ask Charles to like go out for dinner or something and wear a wire. So they meet at a restaurant. Amy's petrified. She's petrified. She's gonna like feel the wire. Do I don't know I how you can sit there and not be sweating your ass off. And and my my conversation would be so awkward. I know. You, you know. Harris wasn't not awkward. It's like it's taped, yeah. so you can hear another thing. So she's like, "What's going on? Like, what what's happening?" And he's like, "A patient died of low blood sugar at Warren Hospital, twenty four hours after I was her nurse. So they like looked into me." <clears throat> and she's like, "Okay." And she's like, "What happened with Father Gall? Like." What what's going on? Tell me, tell me. I'm here for you. Um, he says, I can't talk about it. And she said he turned to like a different person. He was like, not there. He was like disassociated, like creepy. That's the person she could see doing it. Yeah, she's like the person I knew would never do that. She goes, this guy sitting across me after I asked that was like, okay, no, this is mm-hmm. a different person. Um, he says I can't talk about it. She says, listen, I know. Let me help you. Say, tell me what happened. Let me help you. The wire goes dead. Just all of a sudden, the wire goes dead. She said he turns into that empty shell. Um, and he said, I want to go down fighting. He didn't say what happened to Father Gall. He just said, I want to go down fighting. So the wire goes dead. Cops get, cops obviously come in if the wire is going dead. They go in. They said, listen, let's go to the station. They placed him under arrest for the murder of Father Gall. Even though they didn't really have what they wanted to have. They're like, he can't go to work. We got to get him in. So they start interviewing him. Would not talk. He like curls up into like a weird ball. He's sitting there, not talking, not telling them anything. The cops bring Amy to the station to talk to him because she, he know they know they're very close. This is the part of the documentary where I'm fading. And I'm like, stay awake and watch the end. Stay awake. So I literally have no idea what happened. So oh. this is all new to me. <laughs> so the, she's at the station. They bring her into a room. They bring Charles like to come in to talk to her. She said she, like, loses it. He's coming towards her. He's wearing the scrubs, like, not hospital scrubs, but, like, the prison the scrubs. Prison scrubs. 
um, you know, slippers with no laces. He's shackled. She's like, I lose it. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like this is real. Like he really did this. Um, and she feels awful because she's like, I'm doing this to him. I'm betraying him. I am giving him up. Um, but she's like, I, I'm, I'm supposed to protect my patients. I'm supposed to speak up for them. That's what my job is. I'm a nurse. I have to do that. So I'm going to do this, even though I feel awful. They started talking like normal. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, we just started talking. Like he wasn't sitting there in shackles. They did take the shackles off. Um, she tells him she's being implicated in the murders. She's like, I'm getting in trouble for this, even though she wasn't. She's like, I'm being implicated. Be my hero. Be my hero today. Help me. Like, t- say what you did, because I'm going to get in trouble for this. They're going to bring me down for it. How did you do this? Like, what happened? How did you kill Father Gall? And he said, he injected him with Dijoxin. Like, just, I injected him with Dijoxin. The cops pull him out of the interview. They're like, all right, you got it out. You said it. Now let's go. Like, what ha- What exactly yeah, happened? Now Keep like going. The floodgates are open. Yep. Um, talk now. Get it all out. He confesses to everything. They were like, okay, they're gonna t- he's going to tell us about Father Gall. He told them, you know, I used to, um, I didn't want anybody to suffer. So I would see people suffering and I want to end their suffering. So I'd give them Dijoxin or something to drop their blood sugar. <clears throat> um, he infused IV and he, um, not infused, help me. He injected. put injected IV infusion bags with insulin. Kind of like the guy in Texas. Yeah. He doesn't remember any specific patients for that. So how do you know they were suffering? Exactly. So, so the majority were very critical. They were very critical. Um, Amy hears this cause she can hear the interview and she realizes, Oh my God, I killed those patients cause he would put the insulin in the bags and we would all use those bags. So he was doing this and then handing them to us to deliver it to these patients. She's like, I was killing these patients with what the... Which I, I don't think it's fair for her to feel that way about it. But. No, but you would. You'd be like, oh yeah, my God, because you I delivered it. That. I you delivered gave it, that. but you wouldn't have known. No, she didn't know, but she was like, I, he was using me. Yeah. He didn't yeah. care. He was allowing me to go and kill these patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. He was having me do his dirty work, really. And the other nurses. Yeah. Um. She wanted to believe he was this mercy killer, like how he said, like, okay, maybe he really couldn't stand them suffering. And then she realized he didn't even know who was getting those bags. Right. Like a healthy person could have gotten that bag. Like this is not what he was doing. He was a murderer. He also said he used um, barocuronium, which is a paralytic. So you give this to these patients and they stop breathing. Like everything That's paralyzes. what happened to the woman in Vanderbilt. But the woman in Vanderbilt didn't know she was giving that. Right. But that's, he knew. I mean, my point is the same drug. He knew and... he was giving them a paralytic, which is going to stop your diaphragm from moving. You can't breathe, but you're fully awake. And you suffocate. And you suffocate fully awake and know what's going on, which is just Awful. cruel. I'd rather I mean, not that. any of this is cruel, but that is just beyond cruel. Um, he says in that interview, he killed 30 to 40 people over 15 years. He pleads guilty. Um, he signs a plea deal to spare him from the death penalty. As long as he keeps cooperating with the investigation. Um, the police and the attorneys and whatever, they wanted the hospitals. Because... All these hospitals allowed him to keep doing this. He got 18 consecutive life sentences. He admitted to murdering 29 people and attempting to murder another six. Police think he could have killed 
about 400 people, which would make him like the most prolific serial killer. And, and he can't even remember. Well, that's he injected he all these remember. bags. Yeah. You could have. Who the fuck how, how many could you have killed? Oh. Um, in 2003, the hospitals in New Jersey and I think Pennsylvania um, adopted the Cullen Law, which mandates hospitals to report any investigations or wrongdoing or thoughts of wrongdoing of an employee. They can't give them a good review and say, see it, get another job. You have to report that they've done something. I think one of the victims was 21. Yeah, the youngest one was 21. Um, you cannot just pass them off with this law. You have to say, well, we did look into him for this, so other hospitals know right. there was a problem. Um, and that's the story of Charles Cullen. He's something. Yeah. I hope that wasn't too windy. No, but that was like back and forth. But... I'll tell you, if you get the chance to watch the um, documentary, it was excellent. Absolutely excellent. It was good. All right. Well, comma. Mm-hmm. We're going to follow that up with Beverly Allett. I think that's how you pronounce her name. All of my information comes from Murderpedia.com, which it's very frustrating doing Murderpedia because they tell you the story. Then they tell you the story with a little more detail. Then they retell it a third time <laughs> with even more detail. So this is the story from the middle detail because there was even more after that, but I, I didn't see it and I had already read it. All right. Beverly is born October 4th, 1968. She's one of four children. As a child, she liked to make up fake ex- injuries and stuff to get attention. Mm-hmm. You can see where this is going mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd wear fake bandages over fake wounds, oh but God. she'd never allow anyone to ever see the wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, as a teenager, she'd spend an excessive amount of time in hospitals and even convinced a surgeon to remove her very healthy appendix. I don't know how she convinced him, but she convinced mm-hmm. him. I don't because um, I had appendicitis for like five years and no one believed me. Yeah, well, yeah. she didn't have it at all and she got them mm. to do it. And when doctors would get on like, oh, something's wrong with this kid. She's a little weird. She'd move on to another doc. So mm. she was doc shopping. Um, and at this point, she has classic signs of somebody with Munchausen's. So, of course, she decides she's going to go to nursing school because that's what you do. Yeah. She attends Grantham College in Lincolnshire, England. She was just as bizarre in nursing school, and she missed so many classes due to her quote-unquote illnesses that she um, almost didn't graduate and didn't pass the boards. While in clinical, she's working at a nursing home where she's accused of smearing feces on the wall. Ew. She's fucking weird. Why? Like, day one. I don't know. Just fucking weird. Um, And so because of poor attendance, she fails her nursing exams. But she's still able to get a job at Grantham and Kestevan Hospital as a state-enrolled nurse in 1991. Here I graduated high school. I don't know what a state-enrolled nurse is. I mean, we used to have general practicing nurses who were, like, when the boards used to be on paper and it would take fucking five months to get your results, you could work as a GP. And you would work without your RN for months until you pass the board. So I don't really know what this means for her. But she gets a job and she is assigned to the children's ward oh god and this particular hospital is very short staffed so this is why she hired she gets hired there's two trained nurses during the day and there is one at night which uh-huh. shift do you think she takes night of course she does, of course she does. so we're going to go over the victims february 21st 1991 this is going to get rough because it's kids yeah seven week old liam taylor he's admitted for possible pneumonia um Beverly's his nurse and assures patients Liam is in the 
best of hands with her. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, they're told that he's had a rough night, mm-hmm. but he's recovered and is doing very well. But she decides she's going to pick up an extra shift for that night. Moments after she's alone with him, he suffers cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. He suffers severe brain damage and problem life support. His parents remove him from the life support, and his death is attributed to heart failure. Fellow nurses are confused as to why his apneic monitors didn't go off. Yeah. And um, But she's never questioned. Two weeks later, 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick, who has cerebral palsy, is admitted after having a seizure. She volunteers to care for him. Mm. A few months after being left alone with him, uh, he goes into cardiac arrest, and he dies, and his death is attributed to the seizure disorders associated with the cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. March 31st, 1991, which is uh, like another two weeks later. Yeah. One-year-old Kaylee Desmond. She has a chest infection. Beverly is her nurse. After five days, she's on the road to recovery, but she unexplainably goes into cardiac arrest. She is successfully resuscitated and she's transferred to another hospital. Thank God. While being examined, they look and see strange puncture marks under her armpit in an air bubble. And they're like, oh, they must have just accidentally injected her there. Never investigated. Hmm. March 20th, five-month-old, um, they don't give you a name on this one, is in for bronchitis. Just before he's discharged, Beverly comes in. She's his nurse. He is nearly comatose when they find him, and his blood is found to have huge levels of um, insulin in them. He suffers three more of these episodes before he's transferred to Nottingham Hospital. The nurse that accompanies him to Nottingham... Beverly. So he arrives with these high levels of insulin when he gets to the hospital, mm-hmm. but this kid survives, thank God. Thank God. The next day, March 21st, 1991, five-year-old Bradley Gibson is in for pneumonia. Later, after being admitted, he goes into cardiac arrest. He is resuscitated, and he is found with high levels of insulin. Mm. She takes over, um, she takes care of him again. He goes into arrest again, and again is resuscitated and sent to Nottingham Hospital. Which I can't believe they're not like, what the fuck's going on with yeah, all these kids, you know? Yeah. Again, she's still not suspected. The same day, March 21st of 1991, two-year-old Yik Hung Chen has fallen from a window and has uh. suffered a skull fracture. While she is his nurse and caring for him, his O2 levels drop dangerously low. Mm-hmm. He is transferred to Nottingham Hospital where his symptoms... Um, are chalked up, like they chalked this up to, it had to be from his head injury. Mm-hmm. April 1st, 1991, two-month-old Becky Phillips is admitted for a GI bug. Beverly is his nurse, and Becky starts showing signs of hypoglycemia. They examine and find nothing wrong with Becky, and she's sent home with her parents. They're like, ah, she's fine. She's just colicky. She dies that night. As a precaution, her twin sister is brought into the hospital. Oh, my God. Um, Alet is taking care of her. She stops breathing. They have to resuscitate her. Two days later, she stops breathing again. Now she has permanent brain damage from oh. it. She's transferred to another hospital where they find that her apneic spells are a result of low, large doses of potassium and insulin. Jesus. Katie's mother is so grateful for the care that Beverly has given her twins she asks her to be godmother to the second baby. Are you fucking kidding? To Becky. Mm-hmm. And she accepts. So she's the godmother she's to the twin person. that she gave brain damage to. Mm-hmm. So um, April 22nd, 1991. 
Baby Claire comes in. She is 15 months old. She is admitted following a severe asthma attack that put her on a vent. She's left alone with Beverly and goes into cardiac arrest. Now, this is all happening. This isn't like three months. Two fucking months. How is nobody knowing this, okay? She's stabilized and she's left alone with Beverly again. Shortly after, she suffers another cardiac arrest and she passes away. They bring baby Claire in for an autopsy where they find traces of lidocaine in her system. Mm. Now, lidocaine is used in cardiac arrest, but you would never use it in a child. So police are notified and they begin to interrogate, like, investigate like 25 different cases that have been going on in this hospital. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Um, four of whom died. In most cases, they're finding that these victims has huge levels of insulin and potassium in the systems. But they also find all of them have Beverly as their nurse. Mm-hmm. So Stuart Clifton is in charge of the investigation. Stuart Clifton. Such an English name. Very English. Stuart Clifton. All you gotta do. He finds that she is, um, that she had reported that the insulin key was missing on the ward. She, like, she's just automatically singled out in his mind. Mm -hmm. All the nursing records for some of these patients, they're MIA. Nobody can find them. Mm -hmm. He's trying to look for the charts. They're MIA. And he, there's no cameras on the ward, so he can't really... It's very hard for him mm-hmm. to gather information. Um, they go and they investigate his her apartment. Back up. They find that the nursing logs, um, 13 of the victims, they're missing the nursing logs. And they find that 13 of the victims in, with the four deaths, that Beverly is involved in all of these patients' care. Mm-hmm. So it's July 1991. Police have had have enough info, but she, to to get her, but they don't formally charge her till November of 1991, mm-hmm. where she's finally arrested and charged. She denies any wrongdoing, but when they search her house, they find all the missing logs in her house mm-hmm. of all these patients. She's diagnosed with Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy, you think? and her desire to be noticed, they believe, is what is. Um, bringing her to do all this stuff Mm -hmm. to these patients. She just wanted to be the hero. She wants to save these people. She apparently wants to be a godmother. So she is charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, 11 causing grievous bodily harm. She's fucking nuts. Okay, because while they were waiting trial, and I love I was asking you this the other day, she drops five stone in weight, (laughs) which is 70 pounds. Cool. So she looks horrific. Yeah. Like a ghoul. She's got the black circles under mm. her eyes. She's like a skeleton when she walks in. She's diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. She is just a bag of psych yeah. issues. So her trial lasts two months due to her many illnesses. Because she's constantly in and out and in and out. Because she's sick. Psychologists tell the court that she will never be cured. And she is clearly a danger to any of those around her. Mm-hmm. May 23rd, 1993. She's given 13 life sentences. Okay. Uh, the harshest punishment ever given to a woman in England. Oh. Her crimes caused the maternity ward at Grantham in Kestevens to completely be shut down. Wow. And um, so they're never doing babies again there. She is sent to Rampton Secure Hospital, which is a psych facility in Nottingham. And the families of these victims are bullshit that she's there. Yeah. Because it's like a country club. Right. Like. She gets to make valentines. She can write to people. I believe she had a vampire wedding at one point. Um, 
She gets to live some sort of life. She's living a life. Even though she's in a psych facility, she's not living life like in prison. So these families are pissed that she's there. Um, Here she she begins eating ground glass and pouring boiling water on her hands. Oh, my God. She's fucking nuts. How she ever got as far as getting a job? I know. So as of August of 2006, she was looking to have her case reviewed. So she... After 30 years in the psych facility, they can re- they can review this and maybe then put her in jail, maybe release her. She's never getting out, but the families don't even like that she has the possibility of this. And when you look at her from 91 and you look at her now, they don't even look like the same mm-hmm. person. I mean, she looks completely nuts now. Yeah. But she, I don't know. Wow. That's doesn't even Yeah. So those poor babies. That's awful. We're all... So that's our happy Christmas episode. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Get Christmas. Get in the spirit. <laughs> so that was actually supposed to be our November episodes. We have no idea what we're doing for Christmas yet. No. Or the holidays or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. No. Um, but we'll come up with something. Yep. We always do. Yep. And um, like we said before, with all the holiday parties coming up, be careful and be safe. We yes. have no emails this week. We're hoping to have more for you next time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. We're going to be preparing for our kids to come home. Yeah. And do their new thing in the new year. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.